This is the Hofstra Radio Alumni Audio Yearbook. Today is June 11th, 2022. I'm Jen Murphy Packer, here today with a very special member of the WRHU community, Brian McKinley. Welcome, Brian. Hi, Jen. Thanks for doing this. Thank you. I know you sound, you sound really good there. That's Oh, yeah? Thank yeah. you very much. I yeah. appreciate that. Um, I know that you're usually the host, but uh, you and I spoke offline and thought that it would be a great idea for everyone to hear about your career at WRHU. So why don't we kick it off with, uh, why don't you tell us your full name, even though we've already done a little bit of that, and what years you were at Hofstra. Uh, my name is Brian McKinley, and I was at Hofstra Radio from 1990 to 1994. Okay, and what shows did you do at WRHU? Um, most of them. Uh, I did four years of classics from Hofstra. I did okay. four years of the jazz show, which, uh, changed names. It was, uh, classic jazz. And then it was the jazz cafe. Um, I did a, a few rock shows here and here when it was rock solid and rock and roll, rock and roll oasis, but those were never my primary things. I definitely did four years of airwave. Um, uh, what else do we do? Um, did I, you have a and, favorite, favorite show. Did I have a favorite show? Oh, that's a good question. It would have been Airwave, followed okay. very closely by the jazz show, which I would not have predicted, but yeah. Yeah. Actually, if I think about it, closer than my first reaction. I, I love doing the jazz show. It was great. Awesome. And what titles and positions did you have at the station? Um, I was Airwave producer from the spring of 1991. Uh, and then I got a full term from 91 into 92. I was program director from 92 to 93 and station manager from 93 to 94. Okay. Did you have any nicknames or on-air names while you were at the station? There was a very brief moment when uh, someone tried to get me to go on the air as Brian Wilson, and I didn't really care for that. That lasted for maybe half a show, uh, but otherwise I was just me. Wow. Who who uh, inspired that? That would be one Michael Prohodka, whose name you're okay. going to hear a lot in this discussion, and, and we'll probably get to that at some point. And there was no discussion about the Beach Boys uh, connection, or was that by design? That that was my objection. Right. <laughs> that to that. But I, I think at the time... And I can't remember who the other host, who the main host was, but on the Z Morning Zoo, um, it might have been Ross Britton uh, at the time. And I think his sidekick, his guy was Brian Wilson. And so he said, if you don't, you know, I wasn't sure I wanted to use my own name. I was just going to go by my first name or, or, or not at all. And he said, use Brian Wilson. And I tried it and I did not like it. And I never went back to it. Okay. That's, I did not know that. Yeah. Um, so what first brought you down to the station? I know some folks have shared that they came down when they were either checking out Hofstra or, you know, as they became, you know, onboarded in their early tenure as a freshman, or in my case, not until I was a sophomore. When was that for you? And, and what brought you? I, we always say down. That's mm. because I think those of us who were in Memorial it was down. But what brought you to the station? That's a that's a really good point. I always do say because I assume we're in the basement. <laughs> You know, to 
have to speak to a therapist about that. Um, the first time I came down to Hofstra Radio was in the spring of 1990. I was still in high school. And uh, Mike Prohotka and I were very good friends in high school. And he was really, really into radio. And he listened to WPLJ and Z100. He knew all, all the morning show teams and uh, just really was was very into it, wanted to go into it as a career. And at some point in high school, he sort of uh, pulled me into that. And our senior year at Division Avenue High School in Levittown, we did the morning announcements. And Mike uh, came up with the idea of doing sort of a drive time show over the PA at the high school. And somehow we convinced the administration that that would be okay. And we would get into school early, probably about 7.30 or so. And we'd have, we'd write a, scripts of the news and sports scores and some jokes and things like that. And we'd have cassette tapes, with, tapes queued up with music. And we would do this morning show before the first bell uh, every day. And then we'd do the morning announcements a little bit later on. So Mike really got me into radio. I never would have considered it without that. And we had a couple of friends from Division Avenue who had gone on to Hofstra and gone to work at the radio station. So that was Joe Romano and Dave Krug and Nick DeCarmine. And we knew those guys and we figured, well, they're on the radio and we want to do radio. So we're going to Hofstra in the fall. Maybe we can get on now. And so Mike and I, full of some sort of high school hubris, drove the 15 minutes or 20 minutes to campus. We parked on the, I guess, the north side of campus where the dorms are of, yep. of Hempstead Turnpike, parked our cars, walked across the Unispan, walked past the library, walked past uh, Hofstra Hall. We made that right. And I remember this very distinctly uh, as I'm thinking about it. We were walking past one of the outdoor speakers and it was playing classical music. And we looked at each other and we were like, yeah, we're not doing that. Um, <laughs> uh, so ignorant. So, so we walked, uh, past the quad, uh, underneath bits and bites. We went down the stairs, made the right down the hallway. Now we didn't know this at the time. And I don't know how we figured out where the station was, but we did. And we walked past the classical music office and Suze's office and the music office and the, and the engineering crypt. And we walked into the office. Um, and we were of the mind or let me say this. I don't want to put too much on Mike, but Mike was of the mind that we were going to walk in and get a show. And I was like, okay, because I figured what could it hurt? And we walked in and it was the, the you know, the, the, the basement with the, about nine or 11 desks uh, in it. And I, in my mind's eye, walking in, in the, the, the first desk on the left, which was the program director's desk, I picture in my mind that it was Andrew Schmertz. But I don't okay. think he was program director yet. And the middle desk on the left, which is the station manager, I picture Eileen DeCallis. And again, I don't think she was station manager yet. And then in the back left-hand corner was Jeff Krause. And behind him was there was a stereo setup with a reel-to-reel. Uh, I remember that there were the, the toothpicks in the ceiling that yep. Jeff would shoot up there. And then the rest of the office was, was kind of a blur at the time. Because once we got down there, I was like seized with nerves. Like, what are we doing here? This is a mistake. Well, that's still a pretty vivid memory. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, and and I think, like, like I said, I think that people uh, I, I might have mixed up, or maybe I'm right. I don't, I don't know. But I remember we walked in and we said, "Hi, we're you know in high school, but we're coming here in the fall, and we'd like to get a show. We know Joe and Nick and Dave, and they said we should come down and ask." And so someone handed us a paper application and said, we'll fill this out and then we'll talk. And we did that. And on the, I think on the back of the sheet, I could be wrong. There was a, a grid with a schedule and it said, you know, mark any time period that you're available to, uh, to come down and be on the air. And it, again, at the time we were in high school, we both had part-time jobs at a supermarket that, you know, we worked as many hours as we could. So we looked at the schedule and we marked off, I want to say like Friday night from 10 PM to 3 AM. And that was the only thing we marked off. (laughs) (laughs) And, and, you know, and thinking about it now, it's like, God, how stupid we were, but like, we just handed that in. And I think whoever was at the station manager's desk handed it to Jeff and said, well, this is Jeff Krause. He's the general manager. He'll talk to you about this. And we fully expected him to be like, yeah, you know, come on down and we'll train you and you can have a show. On Friday at 10 o'clock. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Of course. We'll see you then. Of course. And, and, and naturally that is not what happened. And he looked at it and thought about it and paused in that, in that Jeff Krause kind of way. And, I don't remember quite how the conversation was going because I think it was mostly Mike and Jeff and I was just sort of standing there going, I, I, I think I've made a mistake. I think I'm in trouble. I don't think I should be here. And, uh, you know, basically Wait, because uh, of Jeff's reaction, just, or lack just, there? just, just nerves. I think I felt, I felt very sort of, um, you know, I don't, I don't think I belong here. I think, I think I'm, uh, in over my head and I'm not sure what I'm doing here because it wasn't okay. my dream to go into radio. I was, I was hanging out with Mike. Right. And, and I felt sort of this, this sense of anxiety and panic, like, Oh God, this guy's gonna, he's gonna tell us just to leave. And, and he didn't, he said, well, what you'll need to do is go through some training classes and we'll have some of those coming up in a few weeks over the summer. And you're welcome to come down for that. And, uh, you know, you're welcome to, to go down to the studio and look around. And if you have any questions, we're, we're glad to do that. And he said, but you're going to have to put in more time than just Friday nights. And, and I wish I could remember exactly what he said, but this always stuck with me. This, the idea of this is that if you want to succeed at the station, you have to learn everything and you have to devote your time to it. And that's really the only material thing that I actually remember and i wish i could remember exactly what he said but that's that's what he said and that and i really took that to heart that if i was going to do this i had to put in the time and i had to make an effort and learn it wasn't just something that you could stroll in and be like yeah whatever this is no big deal this was it was a commitment well i think that's very powerful and probably was the most important thing to remember <laughs> without yeah. knowing what else he said of course yeah, yeah, and 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 it, that that definitely stuck with me. That it was it was an investment in time. This wasn't just a a, a goof off thing. That this was a, a serious place, and so I think those things always stuck with me throughout those four years, and probably to today is that if you want to succeed, you have to put in the time, and and I really always in the back of my mind 
I was always afraid that that Jeff or someone would look at me and go, yeah, this kid's faking it. He's, he's He doesn't really belong here and he's got to go. Like I felt like I had to work really super hard to justify being there. I can, I can relate to that. I, I think there was something about the culture that a lot of us felt that way. I don't think you were alone in that whatsoever. And, and, I, and, there, and I think some of that was the quality, the quality of, of what we were doing. Like it, it, it set a bar. Now, now let me state, no one said that or made me, you know, made a statement that way. That was just, that was just the way that I internalized things. But that, but thinking back about it now that I'm actually going through the story, it's like, yeah, that was always my thing. Cause I knew I wasn't going to have uh, a voice like Al Montag or Dave Koenig or, or Kathy. And I wasn't going to know as much as a Will Shelley or a Steve Enfield. And I wasn't going to be as good an engineer as, you know, countless other people's a John Booty or something. Like I knew I was never going to be like the top talent. So what I've always done is like, I bear down and I work hard. Like that's always what I've done. And that's, that's just at that moment that not consciously knowing it, but that's, that's what happened is that I just decided if I'm going to do this, I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going to put in the time and I'm, I'm going to earn my way into this. Sure. Um, now that's an, that's a perfect segue, um, pun intended to speaking of the early time announcing and engineering classes. What do you remember from those? Do you remember who taught yours, who was in them? Um, sounds like they were over that first summer. So what were they smaller than we typically had? I don't remember actually taking the engineering class. I think it would have been with Eileen or maybe with John Gallo. Um, I don't remember anything about taking the engineering class. I know that I took a test for the FCC license. I have my FCC license, uh, to this day. I keep it, uh, in a drawer and I know exactly where it is at all times, but I don't remember taking that. I do remember doing tracking. Okay. And it may have been over that summer. And I think I went to hang out with, because I knew uh, Joe Romano and Dave Krug. And I, I remember that summer hanging out with them and doing tracking and paying attention. And one of the first times I was down there, I was with Joe and he was doing the rock solid show. And I was sitting for those of us who know the, 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 the on-air studio downstairs uh, in Memorial Hall, you open the door and to the right, there were a couple of seats in the record wall. And then there was sort of like an island where the turntable was or one of the turntables and then where the DJ sat. So I was over on the side and there's a cart rack and I was just kind of sitting there absorbing and Joe was doing his show and I don't remember if it was a CD or a cart or something misfired, something, a segue didn't work. And he turns to me and goes, grab me the cart of 10th Avenue freeze out. And those words meant nothing to me at the time. Like I didn't know, like I was sitting next to the carts, but I didn't know where that was. And because it was a, like on the, on the spot moment, like I didn't know what 10th Avenue freeze out meant anymore. So I just sort of like uh, panicked and he grabbed something else and popped it in and, and carried on. And, but I remember that moment, like, Oh God, dead air. Don't ever let dead air happen. <laughs> Don't ever. Cause that, that was like that moment of panic. Yep. And, um, so I remember that very distinctly. And I remember another moment hanging out with Joe and it was a, he had the Friday night show 
And this probably would have been 8 to 11 p.m. So it was a Friday night. And just hanging out and again, just breathing in the air, just sort of absorbing things. And the door opened and we didn't think anyone else was in the building. And the door opened and Jeff Krause walks in or rather just sort of stuck his head in. And he kind of looked at me and sort of acknowledged my existence and then looked over towards Joe and Joe like rolled the seat over and was like, Hey Jeff, what's going on? Anything I can do for you? And I won't do a Jeff Cross impression because it'll be bad. But those of you who know the voice will be able to do this in your head. He says, uh, Mr. Romano, do you think you could play some Bobby McGee for me? And wow. Yeah. And Joe was like, oh, sure, yeah, absolutely, I'll get that. And he wheeled over and grabbed the record. And I just remember sitting there again, that feeling of, oh, God, I'm not supposed to be here. I'm going to get yelled at. And he didn't. And he just, you know, sort of nodded his head at me and closed the door and disappeared down the hall. And, ah. Do you think it was the gravitas of Jeff? Again, I think it was my own sense of, I, I don't know if I should be here, but also like that's the guy in charge. He's the adult in charge. Right. And he's an imposing guy and he had the beard and the glasses and the, and the voice of voice. Yep. Yeah. The voice. And I just remember, and, and to this day, I mean, you can hear it in my voice. I hear Bobby McGee. I think of that moment, you know, that's just, that's just etched in there. And I was like, this is cool. This is cool. I want to do this. Yeah. I, I want to be part of this. The, the idea that you can connect with a human being and play their record or play something or say something that even if it's only that three and a half minutes means something to them, that's cool, man. Like, yep. I, I want that. I want, I want to be in on this. How, how do I do this? I want in. So, so yeah, so, um, that's, that's what I remember from engineering class, from announcing class. Um, it's what a motley crew of idiots we were. It was, it was Prahatka and I <laughs> and Al Montag and Mike and I made friends with Al like instantly, like the three stooges, like instantly, just like we'd known each other all our lives. Um, and Denise Hanak. And Kathy Wurzberger. And I think John Kay was in there. I think Beaker was with us. And when I interviewed him, he was like, I think so, but I don't remember. But we all showed up at the same time. And we took our announcing classes in the two-track studio with Dave Braverman. And Dave was a very good chief announcer. And he was very good at what he did. And he wanted us to take it very seriously. And... You know, Mike and I had Long Island accents and Denise was from central New York and she had had and has her accent. Sorry, Denise. And Kathy had her upstate accent. And then there's Al, who sounds like he's 50 years old and has been on the air his entire life. Like he just sounded professional from the beginning. And, And again, John, if you were in the room, I'm sorry, but I don't remember how you sounded. But I just remembered how goofy we were and how we connected instantly and we laughed and we teased each other all the time and i dave i i don't know how he put up with us 
and passed all of us, but he did. Um, and I remember one very specific thing. Well, there was, there was the W thing. It's not W, it's W. But very specifically, he was getting us to, to try to do more of a radio theater kind of thing and, and how to announce properly and enunciate. And he want, Dave wanted Mike to say the word dead in an evocative way. And Dave was like, I want, you know, to see the dead body. I want to see the corpse. I want to see this. And Mike in his typical fashion went dead. <laughs> like he wouldn't play the game. He just wouldn't do it. And, you know, Dave's really trying to pull this out of him. And Mike would say dead. Like he, and I just remember thinking, don't do that, man. You're going to get us in trouble. But somehow we made it through. We made it through the announcing class and, and we passed and and we were on the air and again just just marveling at the fact that someone was letting us do this it was it was pretty cool do you remember your first time on the air and behind the board i remember my first time on the air i the date is somewhat mixed up in my head but i remember i was very nervous it was during nick de carmine's airwave show and it was probably at about two in the morning and we'd okay. been hanging out and pulling records and, and doing stuff. And so I'd taken from the, the, the AP printer, uh, I'd ripped off the news and I edited it and practiced it and I was reading it. I was so nervous, so nervous. And I got in the announcing booth and uh, Nick was playing whatever he was playing. And we got to the top of the hour, we played the station ID, put on the mic and pointed to me. Now I just put the headphones on and they were extraordinarily loud. And in my nervous state, I couldn't figure out how to turn the knob that was right in front of me down. And I, I could hear the table shake. I could hear my hand shake. I could hear the paper shake. I, could, I felt like I could hear the rotation of the earth. <laughs> you know, I was so nervous. And, and I stumbled my way through it. And it was god awful. And, you know, he was like, okay, thanks. And then went on and played whatever he played. But I just remember being so nervous and the headphones being extraordinarily loud. But I, I seem to recall one of the stories I read was about Scud missiles and Iraq and Israel. And I went back years ago and tried to figure out exactly when this was. And the nearest I could tell, that would have been into the spring semester, into 91. But okay. I, I could have sworn I was cleared in the fall. So it was sometime around there, but it was definitely in the buildup to the Persian Gulf War. And I remember very distinctly reading about Scud missiles and in the back of my mind thinking, this is probably important, but I'm just so nervous right now. I don't, I, I don't know what to do with the information. Yeah, it's funny that you say that because when I think back to a lot of the things that I read off that AP wire, it was very serious stuff, but I was much more concerned about the pronunciation of international <laughs> leaders than, than what we were actually saying, which was which was pretty heavy Yeah, <laughs> at that time. Definitely. Yeah. Oh, and speaking of pronunciations, this just popped in my head. I, I know I was engineering cleared first, and I was engineering a classics shift, and someone was coming in to announce. And I think I know who it was, but I'm not going to say their name because sometimes they, they didn't show up on time. And I don't know if the statute of limitations is up yet on that. But the person who was supposed to come in and announce wasn't there. And I was in the studio by myself spinning classical records. And it was getting close to break time. And I didn't know what to do. And I was not about to go on the air. So I called the office. And I, I'm 
99% certain it was Mark Waldman. And Mark was like, just do the break yourself. You're, you know, I'm sure it's fine. I was like, I can't do it. I can't do it. I will get in trouble. I can't do it. And he's like, all right, we'll give it another minute. Maybe the person will show up. And I waited literally 60 seconds and called back to the office. And I was like, Mark, there's nobody here. Could you please come down here and announce it? He's like, okay. And I, and now in retrospect, I feel really bad for bothering him, but he came down and he, and he did the break and he was very gracious about it. He's like, you know, can I help you with anything? Are you okay? And I was like, nope, nope. I, I, I got it. I have everything else set up and hopefully, you know, this has got another half hour to play. Hopefully someone will show up and they did. But I remember that very distinctly because it must've been like Shostakovich or something like that. And I was like, I can't, I'm not cleared to be on the air. I'm not allowed to be on the air and I don't want to break any rules. So I, I thank you, Mark, for for saving me from from the dread of dead air and, and coming down and announcing. It's it's still appreciated thirty years later. Now you mentioned all the folks in your announcing class that you really immediately connected with. Well, you know, obviously you came in with with Mike, um, but Denise, Kathy, Beaker, Al, um, who else did you encounter? in those early days that were either helpful or unhelpful, you know, to developing your, your skill and your, your time at the station? Um, there were a lot of folks. We, we were welcomed in pretty quickly. I remember Eileen was always very gracious and always very helpful and gave good advice. Like she was just, uh, just a, it sounds weird, like a superstar of competence. Like she just, like you just, I just trusted she knew what she was doing. So I always asked her. Andrew Schmertz was always very good um, about answering questions or just, just being uh, around. Um, I think I'm blending my first year and second year a little bit, but I remember Shauna Wharton being around and Karen Jean and Renee Depew. Uh, they were just always really encouraging and really uh, nice people. Those were sort of the upper level uh, folks. Um, you know, I know that Al and Mike and I came down to the station a lot and there was always uh, a, a crowd of people having lunch and talking about stuff and editing and uh, the sports crew. Dave Mock was around. Mm -hmm. And I remember being very impressed with Dave from the beginning. Again, that's, that's someone who knows what they're doing. That's someone I should pay attention to and not get in their way especially when he was sprinting down the hall to the, to the, to the AP wire or going to do news. Like Dave was like a laser beam heading down that long hallway. You just, you just didn't want to get in his way. Um, Dave was great. Who else? Um, I'm trying to think of the guy's name. There's a guy named Rob, tall, skinny guy, sort of curly hair, always had like on a blue jean jacket, super good guy. Just always seemed to be there. It's like, hey, what's going on? Just always welcoming people in. And I can't remember his last name right now. But um, he was uh, he was another guy who was just, just always very welcoming. Um, I didn't honestly get to know um, Sue Zizza very well in the, the first year or so. She was around. And Jeff, I, as I kind of mentioned, I kind of steered clear of him, hoping not to make him you know mad at me for some reason, any reason. Um, Rich Berger was always very helpful with classical stuff, with explaining names and pronunciations and just, you know, this is how you say this. And, uh, just always, we always had questions and he was always willing to answer them. So that was, that was always, always very appreciated. 
That's interesting that you avoided Jeff. Did you end up developing more of a relationship or, you know, kind of connecting more or did that continue on? Unfortunately, no. Um, we, we, we spoke a handful of times when I was airwave producer and, um, when I became program director was about the time that, that he took ill. And so that summer he was not really around and we spoke by phone a few times and he wrote me some notes and some reminders, but we did not have, unfortunately, uh, the close relationship that I would have liked. Uh, it took me long enough to sort of feel confident to go up to him and ask questions and uh, seek his advice. And by the time that we were really in it, uh, that I was really in it as PD, he was uh, he was not able to be in the office very much. Sure. Um, do you remember when you did feel comfortable? whether it was both socially, you know, with the folks at the station and, and being on the air in contrast to that, you know, Shostakovich. <laughs> moment. Uh, socially, we must've felt pretty comfortable. And again, I say we, because Mike and I were there all the time together. Right. Our, our, our class schedule, especially the first semester were pretty similar because we had planned it that way. We didn't all have the same classes, but we knew when we'd be around and Al was there. And I know for a fact that, again, the three stooges and, and Kathy and Denise, and, and we'd be down there, we'd be laughing. And Jeff would say from the corner, can we keep it down to a dull roar, please? And we would, you know, snap to and dial that down. But everybody was very welcoming socially. I don't know that I felt, uh, um, really comfortable on the air for a long time. When Mike and I, we, we started doing a, um, a Friday night, 1am to 3am show. And usually he was on the mic mostly. And that goes back to that Brian Wilson thing. Like it was his show and I was the sidekick. I pulled a lot of records. I made a lot of suggestions. I answered the phones. I would end We took turns engineering the boards, but it was mostly him on the mic. I didn't want to be on air too much. I was more comfortable behind the scenes. Um, so it took a long time for me to feel like I should be on the mic and I have something to say. And I don't know exactly when that is. Um, being around the office, like I said, it, it seemed like we were welcomed in very quickly and, and people must've, uh, liked me and appreciated me because, um, I was made airwave producer at the end of my freshman year. Um, and the long story short of that is that Nick DeCarmine was the airwave producer, which I think as a freshman was, was something significant. Um, but he played a song on air that he should not have. And there are some F words in there and some Nazi words and, and, you know, using the term Nazi and other things. And I think the, the legend was that was handed down to me was that Jeff was in the office working that night and heard it and called the studio and says, when you're done with your shift, come down and talk to me. And I don't think Nick ever showed up. And so they needed an airwave producer. And I, in my mind, I recall that it was Andrew and Renee that approached me and said, Hey, you know, it's only for a couple of months but we, we would like you to be the airwave producer, to be the interim airwave producer for the rest of the semester. And then you can apply for it or another job next year. And I was like, I don't know if I know enough about the music to do that. Thank you. But I don't, I don't know if I can do it. And they said, yeah, you can do it totally. 
you know, you're, you're going to clear some new music. You're going to listen to things and they, they laid it out and basically the, the schedule was set and you're just going to make sure that the new music is in there and rotate it out and keep an eye on the library. And, you know, we can have a couple people sort of mentor you to, to help you figure things out. And I was like, Oh, okay. Yes. And I was a print journalism major. I was not a radio guy. I was spending a fair amount of time over at the Chronicle writing articles and doing stuff there. And the fact that they asked me to do that job at that particular moment, not probably definitely changed my entire life. I don't think I would have been up for a position at the Chronicle, but I was definitely going to spend more time there. I was definitely going to work on being a regular member of the writing staff because that was my major. That was what I was going to do. And these guys kind of surprised me and said, do you want to do this job? And if I had said no, or if they had offered it to somebody else, you and I are probably not having this conversation right now. That, that, that was the moment that I really jumped into radio. Yeah. Which is wild. Cause I think that many of us have similar, my, the parallel story that I have to that is, is you and, and John Baker having the confidence in me to be the producer of the Oasis. I, I think that a, a lot of us looking back in hindsight have these moments that at the time definitely felt important and like a huge opportunity, but that we could not possibly know that would actually change everything after that. Um, yeah. and, and open up so much. And, and I think that's one of the, the the greatest things about the folks that were at the station is that they could see the potential of talent in people and you know even when we were perhaps not confident enough to feel like we could do it they you know instilled that confidence in us and said now you got this and and we we feel like you can which then gave us the boost enough and like you said, to rise to the occasion and feel like we had to put in that effort to to really do it. Um, but this is not about me. This is about you. No, um, but, but I think I think that you're, you're right. That that is the story of so many of us that went through. And some people came in and they knew exactly who they wanted to be. Al Montag knew what he was going to do. And before he was even a junior in college, he was working for a commercial radio station. He worked right, really right. hard for it and he was very good and he did that. I, on the other hand, was tagging along with my friend mm-hmm. and here they are offering me this position and I said yes. And I, and I don't think I said yes at first. I think I asked if I could think about it, which in retrospect is like, you dummy. But, <laughs> but, it's but they were also a fair ask. They, they were, <laughs> Sleep on it. They, well, you, but I mean, most people would, would leap at something. You want to give me a job? Sure. I'll do that. And, and I, I was just so well, and, and you know, I, I think to be fair, I was considering doing more at the Chronicle that I wanted to write more and spend more time. I, w- I did a handful of articles here and there and some weeks they had something for me and sometimes they didn't. But that was that was one of the things about the difference between working at the Chronicle and working at the radio station is that I would go over to the Chronicle and talk to some people and say, oh, you know, can I work on something? Can I do something? And there was nothing to do. And it wasn't quite to me as welcoming. And I know that there, you know, the nights that they went to publication, I think it was on Wednesday nights, that was 
you know, all the on-air shifts rolled into one and people really bonded and loved doing that and got to know the business that way. But I didn't live on campus. I had a job. Uh, I had a girlfriend. I had other responsibilities that I, I was not going to stay at the Chronicle till whatever, two in the morning doing that. Why it was different working at the radio station on a Tuesday night from 1 a.m. to 3 a.m., I don't know, but I guess I guess it was different in my mind. But that, that changed things. And um, I have to give all the credit into the, in the world to my airwave guardian angels, uh, Stephen Klapow and Sharon Jaffe. And Stephen and Sharon were doing their own shifts. I believe they had both graduated by that time, but they kept on doing airwave shows. And I'm pretty sure that Mike and I used to follow Sharon on Friday nights. And Sharon was so good on the air. She knew so much. She had a great style. She was always so welcoming. She was really impressive. And then I, I don't remember if Stephen did Monday nights or Sunday nights. I think it was Monday nights. And, and I think I was following him for a little while or filling in. And again, just knew the music so well, knew what he wanted to say. It was very funny, very charming. And I just looked at these folks like, uh, you know, when I grow up, I want to be like you guys. Like I really did. And Sharon gave me uh, this piece of advice. And it's probably just so I, I would stop bothering her with questions about music. But she said, there's a book. <laughs> and if you know me, if you say, if there's a, there's a book, yep. I'm, I'm on it. You're on it. I'm on You're it. You're on it. There's a book called the Trouser Press Record Guide. And it's like an encyclopedia of college radio music. And I said, okay. And I ran to, I don't know, the Walden books or whatever it was. And yes. got a copy of that. It was like six or seven pounds. It was a soft cover book. I feel like it was a white cover with, with big letters on it. And I opened it up and it was like, okay, Peter Murphy. And there were paragraphs on Peter Murphy and his band. And then, you know, and the records and see also Bauhaus. Okay. Bauhaus. Oh, what's this? And so I would read this book and I would sit in the music office and listen to the new music coming in and read this book. And then I would go home and I would read the book. And I spent the summer when I wasn't working, reading that book and studying and going, Oh, that's why this sounds like that because this guitar player was in this band or this producer. And like I said earlier, you know, I, I know I'm not as talented or as uh, natural at these things. So I work hard. And, you know, it's the overachiever in me. And I was just like, well, I'm going to, I'm going to read this all the time. And that's, and that's just what I did. And, and I spent time in the music office and I started studying the record labels that were on, on the CDs and cassettes and on, on the vinyl records. And, oh, this is part of this. And what's DGC and what's that and what's sub pop and learning all these things. And it was just, and, and again, all the credit in the world to Steven and to Sharon for, for putting up with me. And, you know, I'd have conversations with Beaker and I would talk to Dave Krug and I would talk to, um, all these folks that were on the air and knew so much and were never condescending and were never dismissive. They were always like, yeah, you know, you like this, listen to this. Okay, done. And I, go flip through the, through the trouser press record guide. And I'd read about 
that band and go listen to their records. And that was, that was, that was a huge education. Oh gosh. How could I not say this? How could I not say this? The jazz show. Oh my gosh. That just popped into my head. So the first jazz show I got was on Thursdays from five to eight. And if you can keep track of my tangents, please help. Cause I'm, I'm going to go <laughs> I'm all over the place. You go. I'm just letting you go. <laughs> so, you go. So thir- I was doing Thursdays from five to eight. It was a weird shift because I was live from five to six and then from six to seven was a pre-recorded jazz program called Reflections of Jazz with Ron Bush. Yep. And then seven I to eight. I can still hear his voice now. Yep. From seven to eight, I was live again. So why it was in the middle of the shift, I don't know. And it was the only one that was like that. No one ever could give me an answer why it was like that, but it was. And Jen, what a what an education. I would I would rack up the reel to reel player. And hit the ID at six o'clock and read the news and hit the remote start button and the reel to reel would go and Miles Davis would come on and those 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 lonely, beautiful trumpet notes. And then Hi there. This is Ron Bush. This voice, again, this voice, just the nicest man with the most beautiful voice, and he would talk so eloquently and so beautifully about this music and I would read I would I would I would read the backs of the records and I would read the liner notes and just get this education that there's no amount of money that I could ever put on that. It was so uh, it was so amazing. And and I got to do this. They let me do it. Do they know? Do they know how cool this is? <laughs> Do they know how exciting that this is so amazing? And, and, and eventually later on, I, I produced Ron's shows when I was program director and station manager and why I was producing it. I was not the best studio engineer, but to spend a couple of hours with him, he'd walk in and just, again, the nicest man and give you a big handshake and, He'd sit there and go, so what, what are we going to listen to this week? I, I don't know, man. It's your show. He's like, oh, yeah. And, and he'd pull out Grant Green records and and Miles Davis and Coltrane and, and Wes Montgomery and just all these things. And I, I, I would just I would just absorb it all. Just, yes, give me more. Give me more. And so, you know, earlier you said, who are the people who are important? Oh, God, Ron Bush. I, I don't think I could ever thank him enough for opening my eyes and my ears to so much good music. Um, yeah. And, and, and that reminded me of another thing that I, I hung out with Joe Romano during one of his jazz shows. And it wasn't the first time I ever heard Dave Brubeck and I don't remember what it was, but something in that song got stuck in my head. It was an earworm. And I just couldn't get it out. And I was walking around humming this thing for days. And I remember I'd be on the phone with, with the girl I was dating at the time. And I'd sort of be humming and singing along to it. And she's like, you have to stop. I, <laughs> I am not going to talk to you unless you can talk about something other than this jazz music. And I was like, you don't understand. And she didn't. She didn't. And it, yeah, God, wow. Wow, holy cow. I was right. Yeah, I love I um, love doing that shift. I hung on to that for a long time just so I could sit and listen to Ron. Even when I was producing the shows, I would just I hung on to that. 
because it was so much fun for me. Well, you know, in your, you know, just describing him, it, I haven't thought about him in, in quite a few years, but it evokes just this image of of him, you know, and his presence. Yeah. We, we got to work with so many people who had such a presence, but I think that was because of their own passion and love for whatever their particular music is, was. Um, and so it kind of was inside of them and with them and they brought it to us and that I think you know it sounds like and and tell me if you agree part of that education and your you know being drawn to this was because of the folks that we were work, working with were so deeply committed and in love with mm. the music and in love with what it could do like like you said earlier, you know, somebody wants to hear a song and they request it to change their whole day could change, you know, could be because of a place they are, you know, in their head or not, or, you know, just mm -hmm. for a very, you know, lighthearted reason. And I think that that education and kind of cracking our brains open, so to speak, and, and really we were also young people. So we were sponges for all of this, but it, probably would not have occurred, at least in my opinion, if the folks that we were lucky enough to be working with had not been so passionate about it, um, which was clearly what brought them to be community volunteers or or student volunteers. Um, so, you know, thank you for sharing all of that. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, uh, that, that you really are hitting something there with the, with the passion and the energy. And uh, so many of the other people that we worked with producing shows, you know, I mean, you and I both spun records for Tony Jackson and for Maureen. Yep. Like what a good time that was. We've both spun records for Basha. I hung out with Irv Simner on Sunday mornings doing out behind the barn, um, spinning Italian records with, uh, Joanna. Like these people loved it. Jeff Foss, Jeff Foss. I'd hang out on Saturday nights during P5. And just that is another moment, a series of moments where you go, this is someone who is really into what they're doing. You know, there were so many people that really were very good. Frank and Gordon with the R&B show. Those guys were walking encyclopedias and they loved what they did. And to be able to work with those folks and, you know, even some of the, the, the public affairs shows, John Mann would come in and, you know, probably the first couple of times I saw John Mann, I was like, what's this guy doing here? And then I produced his shows, uh, learning about the law shows and he loved what he was doing. He loved bringing those folks in there. So yeah, I, I love that you pointed out that the, the, the passion that, that folks brought into it. And we were, we were fortunate enough to be able to, to soak that in. Yeah. Okay. You've, you've answered a lot of this already, but I think it's still worth asking, um, you know, in, in this way, when you first got to the station, you know, I know you said you, you, you came with Mike and, and you were his friend and you were kind of tagging along, but you know, what did you think WRHU would mean to you? Maybe as you started to get exposed a little bit more to what it was in those early days and then what did it actually turn out to be? I thought it was going to be a goof. I thought it was gonna be something fun to do for a little while. I'd hang out with Mike 
and get comfortable at the university and, and the Chronicle, and then that would be it. I didn't think it would be anything. Again, I had all these things going on. I was a commuter student. I had a job. I had family responsibilities. I had a girlfriend. I had all these things that were outside. I didn't really have time mm-hmm. for the radio station. I didn't have time for something else to do. I was already stretched out and then going to college at first and that responsibility and doing all that and having to drive that extra distance to get to classes at 8 a.m. or whatever it was. I just didn't think it would be anything. I did not anticipate it taking up more than two or three hours in a week. And, and then it would probably, Mike would get established at the radio station because he really wanted it. And I would hang out with him once in a while. That was it. And what did it turn out to be? It changed the entire trajectory of my life. I'm going to steal here from the, the, that, that sage fountain of wisdom, Keith Hannon. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, All right. And, well, but then you have to call him by the proper, if he's going to be the sage, well, well, it's Ken. Well, so <laughs> Keith, in our interview, said this, this and, it, and, it, and it knocked my socks off when he, when he said it, because I didn't expect it. And he said, I could not have expected less and it couldn't have meant more. I'm nodding. Yeah. (laughs) Which is, yeah. What else, what else do you say to that? Because, because it, it really did. I made lifelong friends. I made, uh, connections in my mind, in my heart, in my soul with music and art and culture and the way that I look at things, the way that I get things done. It led to a career in radio that I did and saw things that I never would have seen otherwise. I participated in, yeah, just just for personal and worldwide earth-shattering things. And if it hadn't been for, you know, Renee and Andrew pulling me aside in that spring of 1991 and saying, Hey, do you want to be airwave producer for the next couple of months? None of that would have happened. None of it would have happened. I wouldn't have met my wife. I wouldn't have met these lifelong friends. I wouldn't have made career decisions that I did. Um, it's, it's, it all comes back to that. And again, walking in, whether it's the spring of 90 when we're still in high school and just idiots or the fall of 1990 when we were <laughs> slightly older idiots, I just, I wouldn't have expected it to be anything. It just was, it was just, it was just, it was just a club. It was just an activity. It's just a thing to do. And then as, as you know, and most of the audience knows from personal experience, it becomes your life. Very, very quickly. And I remember, um, yeah, this is one of those, those, those cataclysmic moments. It just, it just came rushing back. Um, the, the, the summer of 91, when I was producing airwave, you know, the, the record that I latched onto that I thought was going to be big that summer was Ned's atomic dustbin Godfather and seal put out his first record. And then a little bit later on this record came in 
and I listened to it and I remember I can see myself writing on the white label on the front of the record with a little baby underwater and the dollar bill and writing, mm-hmm. this isn't metal. This isn't rock. This is something <laughs> else. This is amazing. This is something that I don't know what to do with. And I didn't write all that that way, but it was, I remember writing, this isn't metal. This isn't rock. This is something else. And obviously that, that being Nirvana uh, and wh- how big that became in so little time. And just thinking about um, someone, Brett Dion swears it wasn't him, but Brett, uh, I thought it was Brett recorded on MTV. They played smells like teen spirit with, subtitles for the lyrics because no one knew what the lyrics were and someone wrote it down and came down to the music office and there must have been 15 or 20 of us in the music office and we had that song on cassette and i remember sitting behind the desk and rewinding it and playing it and rewinding it and playing it you know a mosquito what play that again what 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 does this mean what is he saying and just just being there in that moment, we we're all like, this is something. We don't know what this is or what it will be, but this is something. And we just, I just need to be part of it. You know, that was just, the, if I hadn't gone down with Mike and hung out, I just would have been some other kid listening to that on the radio three or four weeks later. But we were in it, you know, we were there. We were playing stuff before anybody else was. We were on top of it. And gosh, what a, a a year and a half earlier, I would not have expected that. I would not have expected that to mean so much. And that's as it's one of those moments that I will, I will carry with me forever. Just being there with those, with those folks and being in that moment and enjoying it, just enjoying the heck out of it. Well, and, and you get to have that forever. That's the gift. Um, okay. So <laughs> this is this is where your interviews typically end, um, but we're not going to end because I have a few uh, fresh questions. Jen, no, 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 no one's going to listen any more of this. <laughs> I just looked at the, I just looked yeah. at the time. No one's going to uh, listen anymore. This is, this is riveting. Stop. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, I'll trust you. For everyone listening, Brian has not been exposed to these questions. There, there's nothing, there's no, there's no gotchas. Um, but I do enjoy the element of surprise. Um, I have absolutely loved listening to all of the interviews that you've done thus far. Um, you. you know, like we, we chatted about, it's been, you know, 60 or so. And I know that there are more in, in the pipeline. Um, I've been really, one of the things that has really, struck me is the commonalities between so many stories Mm -hmm. Um, even from people who went to Hofstra and participated at the station at vastly different times uh, there's definitely a thread of the station feeling like home yeah and particularly feeling like a home um, to folks myself included who felt like maybe they didn't fit in or belong in another activity or a club um, I'm going to probably botch this a little, but I think Sue put it something like the home of the underdogs, <laughs> yeah. something similar to that. Yeah. Um, why do you think that was? Um, what was it about the station that, you know, 
I know what attracted all of us to come down there was probably different, you know, for each one, but there has to have been something that made us literally practically live in that space. It's, it's something spiritual. It's something magical. It's something, it's something in the air. It's something in the radio waves. You know, we're not the only college radio station that's ever existed. There's been plenty of them. There are plenty of them and they're, they're all special in their own way. But there's, I, I don't know. There's, there's, and it's obviously been in many different places over many decades. But you're right. There is that commonality that someone who's there in 1965 got similar vibes to someone who's there in 75 and 85 and 2015. Like mm -hmm. it's, it's something, you know, uh, it's, it's not quite religious. It's not quite supernatural but there's something in the air that just it's very special and i think it's handed down as you're saying before by people paying attention to each other you know when 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 baker and i asked you to be the Oasis producer, it wasn't just because there was nobody else. It's because you showed a talent and uh, ability and enthusiasm. And just like, you know, I, I don't know. Renee and, and Andrew would probably say differently. There probably wasn't anybody else to do it. So they asked me, but they asked me for some reason, I guess. And I, they, 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 they noticed something in me that maybe I didn't know at the time. And, you know, the interviews that we've aired. There's, you know, uh, a Tony Sibilla, uh, uh, a Steve Solomon, uh, a Sue Zizza, um, a Gary Armstrong, all these folks who've who've been, you know, walking in, like you said, as, as an underdog, as a misfit, as an oddball, as uh, someone seeking a mission. There's there's something and it doesn't speak to everybody. It does not speak to everybody. There are plenty of people who went down there and went, nope. Yep. But for some for reason, <laughs> for some reason, uh, this collection of oddballs and weirdos and whatever else you want to call us, it, it just worked and it gets passed down. And, and, you know, a lot of that's probably coming down from Jeff, from Jeff Krause. Mm -hmm. You know, he had an ability. And again, in all these interviews that I've spoken to with lots of folks, they say, Jeff saw a talent in me again, whether it's Gary Armstrong or Stephen Clapout, Jeff or, or Margot Diekman, who said, you know, Jeff said, you know, I know you want to do this, but you're very good at this, or you have in a potential to do that. And he gave the guidance and you, all these people, the Tom Curley's and, and uh, all the, all these folks who've been with us in and out for decades uh, passing that down along. And I think it's a, I don't want to say it's a learned behavior, but you pick up on it. Someone gave you a break. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to pay it forward. I'm going to take this kid and give him a chance. I'm going to, I'm going to turn to Todd Packer and Eric Hewler and go, you know what? I, th I think you guys might, might do well doing a show together. And they go, what? 
And then, you know, the next thing you know, for the next three years or whatever, they're doing the local band show and they're killing it. I, I, I don't have any special insight or power, but I saw these two very talented, very interesting people who are very, very different and went, I don't know. What do you think if you guys do this thing? And, and I think that's, I think that's passed down. And I think it's all part of the, the DNA of the place. I think it's part of the spirit of the place that, um, whether it's in the basement of Memorial, if it's in the new building, which is not new, which is 30 years old. Uh, <laughs> we what, just date ourselves when we say new. Whether, whether it's, you know, Mike Kluger walking into, you know, the basement of the, the, the little theater and, and figuring it out. I think there's just that, that there's something spiritual about it. I agree. I, you know, I, I, I think I said this to you in my interview, if I could bottle it, yeah. <laughs> you know, amen. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So a couple more questions and this is about, uh, these are both about the experience that you've had doing this podcast, you know, which really, I know started out not even as a podcast started out just as, as a, as a conversation in your yeah. mind. Yeah. And, and then some interviews, um, what have you learned, you know, from talking to all of these folks, you know, have there been things that surprised you that you didn't know? Um, and, or, and conversely things that you did expect to hear that then kind of came, came back to you, like, like things that you, you, you thought folks would share that they did and, or other things that you kind of walked away with, wow, you know, that, that wasn't what I was expecting. Hmm. I have to say I'm surprised at the commonality part mm-hmm. that there are so many people who said, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm looking for a place. I, I talked to Sue Ronneberger and she's like, I showed up. There are a bunch of weirdos there. I was like, I like these weirdos. <laughs> and then there you are. And it changed your life. And that's, that's as true from, you know, the 1960s when she was there to, to folks I've talked to, uh, who were there in the 20 teens and, and, uh, that I, I don't know why I'm, I'm not completely surprised, but that like, as I was building up the interviews, the first couple dozen, it's like, everybody's got that same moment. Everybody's got that same feeling of, yeah. So it's, it's not quite a surprise, but it's, it's, I didn't expect it. I didn't expect it to be so <laughs> uniform and that this was my home. These were my friends. And that's that's not, again, a surprise, but the uniformity of it. I haven't anybody say, yeah, I enjoyed my four years, but then, you know, those people, they can go jump in a lake. I never want to talk to them again. <laughs> no one said that. No and, no, and 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 you know, plenty of us have walked away on, you know, less than happy terms. You know, there's some folks who've said that they don't want to be part of an interview because or part of the process because they didn't part on good terms. And I get that. Not everybody has rosy feelings about some people, you know, just don't want to go back to that point. That's been a bit surprising. And, and, and I'm not going to say obviously who, but a handful of people who said, no, I'm not, I'm not doing it. I was fairly surprised at. Um, but, uh, overall the, uh, um, 
the what am I answering? The surprises. The uh, the 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 thing that I, I I latched on for a little bit was that that there used to be an office upstairs in Memorial Hall, which I did not know. Mm-hmm. And so piecing that together between several Mike D'Antonio uh, and Margot Diekman and Suzza and a few other people, I was like, oh, there's a whole nother like physical space that we didn't that I didn't know about, and it was just a couple of years before you and I were there. Um, that was that was kind of fun for me. Um, but, but so many, yeah, I can't, I can't even picture it. Like to me, the only thing <laughs> upstairs, and I put that in quotes is bits and bites. Like I don't have any awareness of anything else being in Memorial. The registrar was upstairs on the third floor or the second floor, whatever oh, it was, right. where, where right. you'd have, yep. you'd stand there with the physical book with all the courses printed yep. out in the times and you'd stand in line and hope that you could get the course that you wanted. And and that's, that's what I remember the upstairs being. I have a vague idea of where it was. Um, and a couple of people have told stories. I think Sue included of throwing stuff on, on the roof of the, the playhouse nearby, which just, again, uh, to be able to get access to that building and go see what they were doing. It's just would be hilarious. But um, did I answer the question? You did. Okay. And I have one more. Okay. And then, and then, and then we're out. Um, Okay, and this is kind of a callback to the question that you always ask everyone last um, about their experience at the station, but it's instead about your experience doing these interviews. Um, when you set out to do them, what did you think they would be like or or mean to you? You know, in terms of talking to folks who you know who came to the station, who worked there, who spent time there, and how has it been either confirmed or different, you know, similar to the Hmm. question of when you showed up at the station, what were you expecting? Um, and what did it turn out to be? What has this experience of interviewing folks, you know, what did you walk into it expecting and, and what has it been either instead or, or perhaps the same? It's been so much more meaningful than I could have imagined. And I, I say this at, at the end of every interview and it's completely sincere. But every time I, I, I stop recording, I say, that was so much fun. I, I've been smiling ear to ear the entire time and I loved every story you told. And it's it's 100% genuine. Again, anyone who knows me knows that I cannot act and I cannot lie. Mm-hmm. Like I just, I'm not able to, or at least to do it well, you would, you'd be able to tell. And, and I, I'm so in love with every single story and interview. Um, and I figured I would enjoy most of them, but not to the level that I am. And the excitement when someone says, yes, I'm going to, I'm going to do the interview, especially, you know, if they were hesitant and they're like, yeah, I'll do it. And they show up and it's a great time. That's, I did not expect that. Like, that's just so fulfilling. It's, it's like going back to, 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 you know, that idea of fulfilling a, a request, you know, Jeff Cross opens the door and asks for Bobby, maybe Bobby McGee. Yeah, sure. I'll play that. And then getting someone to, to show up digitally, you know, over the distance and tell their story. Oh, it's a rush. Oh, it feels really good. And then, and then I always say it's going to take me a couple of days to, to download and edit this. And every single time within 10 minutes, I've downloaded the tracks and they're in audacity and I'm listening to them because I'm so excited to hear the story I just heard. 
and that's that's been unexpected that's been a surprise and then now now that i've i'm i'm putting these out putting them on the air to steal the phrase um i listened back before just to make sure that the audio is okay and there's nothing hinky about it so i listened to the full episode publish it and then i download it and i listen again so i did not expect to uh become addicted to these stories i did i did not expect i just thought you know i want there to be a record of us of this station and whether it sits on a shelf or in a file or whatever it's i know that it's there and the fact that I am, I am so uh, swept up in this is, is a great surprise to me. It's, it's, uh, it's a pleasant surprise. It's, it's really enjoyable. And then um, uh, as of the date of this recording, it would have been a week ago, Mike Kluger posted in the uh, Facebook page for the alumni and like 15 people messaged me that most of them I didn't know at all. They're like, this sounds awesome. I want, and that felt so gratifying. Um, now I, I think to go back to the, to the earlier part, what, what was this when, when I thought of it? Um, so some of you have heard this and I'll, I'll, I'll try to keep it brief. Ha ha. Um, (laughs) (laughs) don't ever put me in front of an open mic. It's a bad idea. Um, so, so I was in a hiking group with a friend who was going back to his college reunion. It was the 50th reunion of his fraternity. And they had, he told me that they had produced a yearbook of what people had done since. And I was like, oh, that's really nice. And it was about that time that the 60th anniversary of Hofstra radio came up and we came down for that. A lot of us came and came together for the first time in a long time. And that was really nice. And I thought, Oh, I got to do something with this and promptly did nothing with it because I didn't have a radio station. I didn't have a network. I didn't have all of my friends around me and I didn't know what to do with it. And so it just kind of sat there and I said, well, who's going to listen to this? Nobody's going to listen to this. No one's going to want to hear it. Is it going to be on the air? Is it going to be, what, what is this? I didn't know what it was. And then mm-hmm. we got to the time of the COVID lockdown. And everybody was zooming. Everybody was talking to each other. And I thought, all right, well, if I'm if I don't do something now, this idea is gonna die. And so uh, I talked to you and Todd. I talked to Dave Koenig. I talked to Brett Dion. Uh, I talked to a lot of folks who were the people that did all the hard work when I was there, the people that were creative, the people that were the good announcers, the people that were the good producers. And I said, this is my idea. What do I do with it? And, and I got a lot of good feedback and a lot of good ideas. And we had many conversations and I thought, all right, let's, let's try this. And you and Todd were very generous in being the first Guinea pigs to try this. And, and we did, we, I don't know, we had a zoom connection and audio hijack and, I don't know. It was just, it was terrible. It was just, uh, you know, from my side that I didn't know what I was doing and I, I, you know, I, I wanted to be prepared. So I felt very much like I'm asking them to do something that's not fully thought out, but I spent a lot of time on the questions. And again, you and Todd 
were very generous in your answers. And I just was so elated. I was so much more excited than I could have anticipated after having done those interviews. It really like filled my soul to have those stories. And just, even if it was only those conversations, that was so meaningful to me. And then I called up Dave Koenig and said, do you want to do this? And he said, well, yeah, sure. And what about this? And what about that? And he gave me some advice because he's, he's just amazing. He's, he's a, he's a, he's a great, uh, personality, a great actor, uh, a great technical person, and just, just a really good guy. And, you know, we tried that and then I got more people and more people. And, um, you know, my initial thought when I first around the time of the 60th was I'm just going to record these and they're going to go on a hard drive or we're going to put them on tape or something and they're going to go sit on a shelf and they're just going to be there in case anybody wants them. And I did not anticipate making a podcast. I did not anticipate uh, making you know, a, a crude website to connect this stuff. I just, I just didn't know what it was going to be as very much in the spirit of 1992 WRHU. Hey, you know what? Everybody's gone home for spring break. Let's take apart the record library and <laughs> rebuild it and see what happens. Okay. What are we going to call it? I don't know. We'll just call it the rock and roll Oasis. It's a placeholder name. It won't last more than six months. We'll come up with something better. You know, that's just what we did. We just, we, we had this freedom and encouragement yep. to just make mistakes and to make goofy decisions. And um, that's kind of what this was. I didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't know. And now a couple of years into this and 62 interviews in, uh, I, 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 it's overwhelmed me. It's overwhelmed me. And just, just getting encouraging messages from folks saying that we really appreciate you doing this, uh, has, uh, it, it's, it's, it's meant the entire world to me. It's, it's been, it's been really gratifying and, and very humbling because there are so many really talented and interesting people in this community. And I'm just, I'm just constantly floored by that and, and fortunate and grateful that uh, that I can be part of it. Well, I can speak for myself in saying that I really appreciate you doing it. I look forward to every new episode. Uh, I know they were on Thursdays before, and now it's Tuesdays and Thursdays, and I can't wait to listen to them as soon as they drop. And I know exactly what you're saying, because I've been smiling ear to ear throughout this entire conversation. And despite knowing you for... Hmm, yeah, 30 yeah. years, 30 ish yeah. years. I've learned things that I that I didn't know. Um, so thank you for doing all of this. I know that so many of us are just having having the fun all over again. Um, and remembering and and having a reminder of, of like you said that, that lightning in a bottle or that that's something that's special, something that connected us all and to be able to re-experience it and hear it from everyone's different perspective, because even though we were all there together, mm. everyone, you know, 
takes different things away from it, remembers it slightly differently or, you know, experienced it differently. And it's just a gift. So, you know, thank you for doing this. I know it's just the beginning. Um, I'm thrilled to be a part of it. And thank you for letting me do this today. You did great. And I love those questions. Those were great. I, I had no idea what to expect. Those were great questions. I am, I, I, I yeah, I'm going to be, those are going to be rattling around in my head. I'm going to be like, wait, wait, I want to add more. But those were, those are great. <laughs> <laughs> and I can do that because I can edit it. I can go back and add more, but that's, we should, we should have put a caveat on at the beginning of this. Just, I, we should have put what, time. This might be a three hour long a, episode. A, a time limit on some of these answers. I am just, this is just way too self-indulgent. I'm going to have to cut no, some. I am, I am, no, no, you're not. Thank you for putting up with all this. Yeah. I would like to speak for the audience in that I think this should stay exactly as it went. Um, People have their own agency to fast forward if they really want to. I'll put a disclaimer Um, at the beginning. That's that's the magic of podcasts or listen to it at a faster speed. Um, You have so much to share that should not be cut out. Um, And let's let's let this be what it is and you know again thank you and uh you know i hope we can do this again just like you like to say thank you <laughs>